Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, wow. God. We were gonna. We were going to. Um, erroneously, we told our listenership that we would record at Ali Pali, um, a, a podcast. But in the end, we didn't because that's just mm. that's just how we do things, isn't it? Really, we sometimes, you know, sometimes super motivated, and other times there's not much to say. Actually, this also reminds me right now because I've done an interview with Ashley that we haven't. We need to get in at some point as well. That is brilliant. Well, um, yeah. listen, well, that actually, that's really relevant, isn't it? To, uh, I yeah. think an admission or at least a, confe- a confession, no, just a fact that we need to mm. make very plain mm. now on the eve of the Giro d'Italia. We had bold ambitions that we would record every brave, single brave morning. Brave ambitions, I'd say. Brave yeah. ambitions that we would record every single morning. Um, we thought about it and collectively, as a committee of mm-hmm. two, We've yeah. reached a conclusion that we cannot be asked to do that. I think that's probably. I don't um, think it's a question of being asked. It, it's just I think uh, it's. I think it's a. It's. It would be incredibly hard work, and perhaps that's it. That's the, that's, that's basically what that's eight, it. Yeah. 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 And it, so I mean, it, and it's and it's 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 essentially podcast philanthropy. Yeah. So, you know, we've both got day jobs yeah. and we had to kind of, as much as we love it, we had to go, you know what, we actually probably have to be better for the rest of the day. We can't be peeking out at 6am in the morning. Which was what was happening. I mean, we were on fire, David. Peeking out. Peeking out. We were on fire. I used to go, I cannot believe we did it for 21 stages plus two rest days. Mm Mm-hmm. And a preview show, and a, I think probably a review show. I cannot believe we did it. I used to, I remember going to, you know, 250 kilometer transfer through Abruzzo, getting to, you know, a place really late, having dinner at 10 o'clock, going to my hotel room at 11.30. And before I went to bed, after a full day commentating an entire stage of the Giro, I would sit there and I'd have to script my travel news for the morning. Because I couldn't improvise that, so I'd have to no. I'd have to research the local A roads and where the potential um, bottlenecks might be of the next finish town, so that at six o'clock in the morning I had that script absolutely banged to rights and ready to go mm. for the travel news. And I and yeah, it was at six o'clock every morning. So uh, basically, uh, uh, we're not, well, not going to do uh, it. Uh, our listeners going to get a travel news just for nostalgia in this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just. But here's the principle: we're going to pod fairly frequently aren't we i mean you we know, are it's going to be regular but we don't want to tie we don't want to it's probably an, an do it every day to nail ourselves to a cross a giro cross <laughs> so no no one wants to do that no one wants to do that so we're going to do it uh, uh, uh when we feel like it <laughs> <laughs> that's 
an amazing, it's an amazing metaphor when you yeah. think about who you're comparing yourself with. Well, it's we. Oh, said, us. Okay, I said, yeah. We yeah. are not going to nail ourselves we. across. We one on each side no. of it. Well, two crosses. Yeah. <laughs> one cross. Yeah, one on each side. Just one to big save nail money. goes through both. Because we haven't got wrists. a we haven't got a sponsor for our cross, so we <laughs> yeah. have to buy it ourselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so listen. So we will. We are. Oh, hang on. Someone's trying to WhatsApp me. I just need to decline that. There we go. Um, so, so the story is that um, we'll do this preview one. And uh, we will um, then pick it up. I think maybe David. I mean, uh, I don't want to pin uh, probably, to cross no, it. Just probably, yes. it's probably best now just to explain to people mm. where you are and why we would do this because you're actually in Italy. No, Budapest. I'm not. You're in Budapest. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. H- I'm in Hungary. Hungary. So yeah. that's the the whole yeah. premise is you're going to be. I'm going to be at the race. I'm going to be watching every frame of every mm. pedal stroke of all of the race the whole time and the the way it worked last uh, year was you didn't have you're extremely busy in may and you didn't have much time to watch the race you only watched little you only basically watched when remco evenepoel was doing anything yeah as, far I, as I remember that's pretty um, much it that was if it was a remco day you'd be there if it wasn't oh, um, i feel myself welling up just but, thinking about that <laughs> oh, how the we comeback. lost the race on the on the gravel on the gravel. oh god um, yeah but 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 uh, but there's no Remco this year, and anyway, you've moved on from Remco as we've established. So no, I haven't. Uh, I think you have a bit. Um, I had him on in the so, studio today. I was watching Liège again today, watching Remco. What you rewatched it? I rewatched it. Fact. Um, but what did it? What did you learn on rewatching it? I just wanted to watch it again. Yep, third time. A third time. <laughs> just in the background. <laughs> Anyway, carry um, on. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm in Budapest. I'm in Budapest. And m- by the way, when we've had a little bit of a chat about the race, I'm, I've I've prepared a bit of a tourist's guide. To, well, no, that's not right, really. I've just I've I've done a little feature, uh, a travelogue, um, a tra- sort of travelogue of sorts on how I filled yeah. my day today going around Budapest. So yeah. I've uh, edited that together. So that's part of this uh, podcast. That's still to come, and um, and it's quite interesting. Some of that I think you will find. Um, yeah, but before that, David, we've got the um, we've got the Giro to look forward to. And yesterday, uh, Matt Stevens and I doing the World Feed commentary that you can't hear in the UK, unfortunately, unless you're very snide, well, or fortunately, perhaps, um, unless you're very snide with your uh, your your you know internet cheatery. Um, uh, but yeah, we flew into Budapest and then had very little time to spare to get a hire car drive into Budapest and get to um, Heroes Square, which was the scene of the team presentation last night. So in, it, it, as is the way with Grand Tours now, you tend to have the team presentation not the night before the race, but two nights before the race. I don't know when that changed, really, or why it changed, because when you were racing, David, it was pretty pretty much the night before the race, wasn't it, normally, as far as I remember? Team the presentation? No, originally it was. And then they moved it to the Thursday for some of the big cities. Uh, yeah. Uh, it used to be no, the Tour de France Friday. when you were, yeah, it used to be the night before the race, didn't it? I'm yeah, sure. but then, it, yeah. then everyone got kind of like, oh, no, we need the day before, don't interrupt us. And then, yeah. then the team started to arrive on the Wednesday when the whole anti-doping systems got more advanced, where you had to do yeah. your blood test on the Thursday morning. Which meant that I think it actually is much better for the organization to do it two days before because it gives them breathing room before the race. But in the old days, 
everyone will be arriving the Thursday, presentation Friday, race Saturday. Then all the teams yep. arrive Wednesday to do the, all their blood testing on the Thursday. They're like, well, they're all here. Let's do it Thursday. And it gives us a bit of breathing room before the race. Okay. Yeah. 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 It yeah. does make sense. It kind of does make mm. sense, actually. Mm. And it sort of, in a way, it builds the anticipation I think. even further. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's worth stressing that the team presentation happened on the Wednesday this week rather than the Thursday because the race actually starts on the Friday rather than the Saturday. And the reason it's starting tomorrow on Friday um, is because, of course, there are three days in Hungary and then you can't just pick up and, and race stage four um, in Sicily the very next day. So they've had to build in an extra rest day. Um, to get back in sync. I didn't even know it started tomorrow. It starts tomorrow, David. Oh, well, that's, that's amazing. So I can, your, have it, your, I can have it on in the studio in Drona. The, and also, it's a super exciting stage tomorrow. It's not a straightforward stage at all. Oh, dream. And also, and also, the out-and-out favourites for tomorrow's stage, David, is... is, is Matthew Van der Poel. Matthew Van der Poel. Obviously, it's very, I, follow very hard him, to, I follow him closely it, as well, so I've read all the interviews. It, yeah, it's Five very days. hard to make a case yeah. for anyone other than Mattia van der Poel winning tomorrow's stage. Mm. And clearly, he has come to the Giro d'Italia for the first time in his career with the ambition in mind of winning stage one, taking the pink jersey and then probably going home. Second Grand Tour start. Second Grand Tour start. And his first Grand Tour start was not a disaster. No, it wasn't shabby. That's exciting. Oh, you just made my week. Yeah, well, you're, you're certainly your 24 hours. So, I mean, yeah. t- t- so just to give you an outline of what happens in Hungary, we've got this uh, intriguing, mostly flat stage tomorrow, but it ends on a climb up to um, uh, Visegrad, the old castle of Visegrad. Now, Visegrad is actually a Slavic word, um, which you'll find there are lots of Visegrads in the world, um, but it's quite anomalous to find a, a, a Slavic place name in Hungary, which is obviously not a Slavic country because the Magyar languages we talked about last year mm. has got nothing to do with the Slavic languages. But Visegrad um, is an old castle uh, on a rocky outcrop overlooking the massive river Danube, and it offers the the Giro d'Italia a five kilometer climb uh, to the finish line and that's the beauty of it so that is quite significant isn't it that's a kind of Mur de Bretagne for want of a better word it's not a particularly steep climb it's got a punchy little start to the climb but then it drags up for four percent uh, four or five percent for four kilometers mm. so it's going to be a brutally hard finish and I think uh, I think it I mean you know obviously it's going to suit Mathieu van der Poel but um, I think it might be too hard for some of the sprinters, if not all of them. Hard to say. Is it flat the whole way to that? Uh, I think um, maybe. I don't think, there's any, I don't think there's anything disruptively difficult en route. So I think it will come back together and I think it will be... Well, I think, I think it the will facts, be that. So I've read all the interviews and Mathieu van der Poel, he's... He still is saying Caleb Ewan and that's a threat, which means there's definitely... I think he's, I think he's right. Yeah. Okay, but there I think I think Caleb Ewan might be the only. I think he might be the only threat because how many times have we seen it in the past where there is a, a kind of selectively difficult finish, mm. uh, and and no sprinters are there save for Caleb Ewan. He is the yeah. guy who I think um, the only guy who I think he can deny Mathieu van der Poel. And actually, I've talked myself in this afternoon when I was discussing this with uh, Matt Stevens, who I'm commentating with. Well, I've already said that. Um, I I've talked myself into a situation where I make Caleb Ewan the slight favourite actually grave so error. there we go but i think it might, it might be grave it might error. be between those two i'll but, enjoy um, watching him not i won't win. enjoy watching him distance because that's horrible for any rider but when i yeah, sit in the studio horrible. watching horrible my two on his way to win yeah i'll think of you yeah 
Yeah. Um, so given that you didn't know I was in Budapest and you also didn't know that the Giro d'Italia starts tomorrow, is there anything else you want to know about the Giro, David? Uh, well, I see like who's in it is one of the favourites. I think he's the favourite. He's the favourite. Uh, I think it's Dark so. Horses. Well, anyone who's not the favourite is a dark horse, right? Well, the Giro um, normally, uh, normally, uh, often at the Giro, it's a dark horse that wins. So it's yes. almost oxymoronic to say there are favourites because you're almost, you're kind of... Uh, okay. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you who the GC names of note are, and you can stop me when you get interested, right? Okay. So Richard Carapaz, I think, is the favourite um, because yes. because I think he's the best GC rider that the Ineos Grenadiers have right now at their disposal in the absence of Egan Bernal. And you could say it's slightly surprising that they didn't, when after Bernal's injury, completely reconfigure their season and say, well, actually. Carapaz going to the Giro is no longer relevant. He has to be our Tour de France rider. But then maybe it's a pragmatic kind of bit of thinking where they think, actually, let's send him to the Giro where he'll go in as favourite and could well win the race, or could very possibly, mm. probably win the race, all other things being equal, or send him to the Tour de France where he's got an outside chance of winning the Tour de France. And I wonder whether they've just gone... That's pragmatism. Carap- yeah. yeah, maybe. Maybe that's pragmatic yeah. thinking. Anyway, yeah. um, Astana have Miguel Angel Lopez and Vincenzo Nibali. And I think it's the first time since Nibali became a key player well over a decade ago, David, that Nibali hasn't gone into the Giro d'Italia as the protected rider. And huh. I think that is a really interesting prospect because he looked super relaxed on the stage yesterday. He looked smiley and he's in his last year of racing. And uh, um, Nibali unleashed... Uh, uh, could be quite a, an interesting mm. prospect, I think. Do you agree? So I'm taking, so I, I agree. I'm taking notes and I've written down Richard Carapaz. And then I wrote Superman and Shark. <laughs> Has Finally, Carapaz got a nickname? No, I don't know if he does, but I, I just like that because I was going to write Lupa, Anger, and I was like, no, Superman. Uh, Vincenzo, Superman. not a shark. So Superman shark. and the shark. So Superman I'd love shark. to see Shark do something. I would never write him off. Nope, nope. Yeah. Um, then um, Bahrain Victorious are, are intriguing because they don't bring Caruso, who finished um, th- in third place, uh, second place here last Landa. year. They bring Landa and Bilbao, both of whom are going pretty damn well uh, so, in 2022. Yeah. In my replay watching Liège today, he's, Landa's going very well, but he was giving a masterclass in how not to win a bike race. The, <laughs> the amount of times he attacked, he was so strong way before so he's going very well but uh mm. which is good but uh, yeah the uh, tactics were not uh, ideal so no i wouldn't even put lander as an outsider i'm afraid yeah bill bow i think they're both podium prospects but mm. um but the, it's, you know it's kind of impressive they've got both of those riders uh mm. to play with and uh b- um what do you call it bora hansgrohe are not dissimilar in the sense that they've got um Wilco Kelderman and Jai Hindley, who were both Sunweb riders in 2020 mm, and finished in second and third place at the Giro. Yeah. So they're both riding for Bora Hansgrohe now with Emmanuel Buchmann, who ghosted his way up to seventh <laughs> place on GC. Um, no doubt about that. So they're kind of interesting. They've got a lot of climbing talent. Guillaume Martin is making his debut at the Giro d'Italia. Having finished, let's not forget, in the 11th. top 10 of both the Vuelta 
Uh, and the Tour de France ninth. last year. He finished ninth, ninth in both those races. Yeah. So, oh no, he's going to be way better than ninth at the Giro, David. He's going to be uh, sixth. Well, yeah, flip it. Turn that nine upside down. You can do it. He's going to be he's going to be sixth, and he's also going to be writing um, an account of the Giro for the Road Book. Ooh, that's exciting! I'm really thrilled by that actually, and uh, looking forward to seeing what he's writing. So he's hopefully right now penning his opening thoughts about the eve of the race. Um, uh, EF, who have uh, did you see their bespoke kit for this? I race? saw. Yes, I have. I saw a brilliant tweet by Robin journalist or something. Uh, comparing it to uh, British Rail seats. <laughs> That's quite. It looks like to me because they've been amazing for th- they 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 have been amazing their designers for oh, three it's years. Brilliant, yeah. But I, it felt to me like uh, they've run out of ideas a bit. It's like it it's like, like 90, it's like oh, 1980s carpet. Just- it's yeah, like you that's the house. Just... You're, going to, you're going to visit a house. It's kind of it's, it's a bit of fixer upper. Lord, we're taking that carpet up. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah. Like that. So first, it's the first one of their new kind of yeah. you know, punk jerseys that I think has been a yeah. little bit disappointing. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got Hugh Carthy as their GC. Guy. Oh, well, he's yeah. I, yeah. I say I'm yeah. going to put Hugh Carthy an outsider. Podium or Podium. race. Race, I'd, okay. you know what? Why not? Teo can do it. It's like, that's the sort of thing that Hugh Carthy can. Who, David, has finished six times in the top ten of the Giro d'Italia on GC and has finished 40 times in the top ten of stages on the Giro d'Italia? 40 times he's finished top ten in stages and six times top ten in the GC. And oh. he has he of all the riders in the start list, he has raced the Giro d'Italia more than any other. By which I mean, this is his sixteenth Giro d'Italia. Kind nationality, got to be Italian. Well, he's got to be Italian, isn't he? No, no, no other riders in the Giro sixteen the race, times. He's got to be Italian. <laughs> no other, no other nationality would do the Giro sixteen <laughs> <Yeah>. times. <laughs> uh. <laughs> nationality, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, David, he's Dutch. No, gone. <laughs> Uh, listeners help me yeah they're shrieking at the podcast device now. he's short he's got a very distinctive racing style on a bike he's very short he's very short is it um the piano player Possibly he's well. the piano player david potso vivo yeah oh, what a record wow. though it's incredible That's, isn't it like jeez that makes 40 me top, 40 like top 10 finishes yeah. in stages for a climber yeah. not a sprinter that's amazing. That's been ghosting his way around the Giro with great success. Yeah, yeah. yeah bless him. Um, not going to win the Giro. Um, uh, Jumbo Visma are putting all their eggs in the Tom Dumoulin basket mm, now. That's risky, isn't it? It is. So, uh, yeah, he's shown no form in 2020. No form. Uh, in fact, and he's, he's shown anti-form. Anti-form. <laughs> it's like anti-gravity. <laughs> Yeah, he's shown anti. Oh, he's shown plenty of gravity in all the climbs that we've seen him on. Actually, um, so such a yeah, shame, so isn't it? It is a sh- it is a shame. But he's talking boldly about targeting the GC and this and that. There aren't too many. There aren't too many time trial kilometers to get him out of trouble in GC. Uh, but then again, when he won it in 2017, he didn't need them because he no. wasn't losing time on the climbs. You know, that's not how he won the race. Um, mm. Well, you're telling me, don't so do you? Yeah. 
The, 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 outside, I mean, the interesting character that I think that Jumbo Visma have got is the Norwegian champion, Tobias Foss, who could, Ooh, he who is, could he be... He is interesting. Could, so he could be one of those guys mm. you're talking about. Like a Vingegaard. Like, 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 like the coming of age of Vingegaard, or even like Theo Gegenhardt, you know? I mean, the yeah. Giro is a... Is, or Jai Hindley, the Giro is a, yeah. is a race where, yeah. over recent years, somebody relatively new mm. and unexpected can get on the podium. It's like a, a, it's like a nursery garden. Yeah. For bike riders. For bike riders. GC yeah. riders, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um Movistar have got Ivan Sosa and Alejandro Valverde, who is riding his second Giro d'Italia. See? His second Giro d'Italia. Amazing. Hats off to him. Thirty first Grand Tour and second Giro d'Italia. The only other time he raced the Giro d'Italia was in twenty sixteen. He won a stage and finished third. <laughs> it's not bad, is it? That is um, not. And, um, yeah, and, and he's a bit of an outsider for tomorrow's stage, I think, if the climb is a little bit harder and more selective oh, than we think it might be. Alejandro. Yeah. Why not? God, God, that'd be awesome. Imagine Alejandro in pink. That'd Final year racing. And he turned, he turned 42 last week. He turned 42, which is a 10 years yeah. younger than me. Um, anyway, uh, then we've got uh, Simon Yates, who is ah, looking Yates. stealthily. Do you remember the time trial at Paris-Nice? This year, ripping. He was uh, he was very fast. And the yeah. final stage in Paris Nice that was um, absolutely it, champagne bike racing. That final stage, he had Roglic, he had Roglic beaten. Well, yeah, and, he, and he, it was only thanks to the old big wout, old whoop, yeah, that brought him back. Yeah, no, no, Simon Yates, and I, I, I'm guessing that since then he's just shut it down with everything into the Giro. Go for it. Yeah, pretty much. He took a, a victory in a minor race in Spain relatively recently. So he has to be yeah, the he's favourite. Him and Carapaz, I'd say, are equal draw. Ah, now come on, Carapaz has won the race. And huh? found he's, he's won. You know, Simon Yates has not won the race. Simon Yates is finished won, in third he, place he was, in the bike race. He was race. super good in the Vuelta, and he was, he's done well yeah. with Giro. I don't know. Okay, okay so whatever. you're putting Carapaz and Yates in, in equal. I, equal I, if we were, if we were to keep NSF star count. I'm putting five, five stars, stars. Five stars of Carapaz okay, five, and five Yates. Yeah. Okay. Roman Badet, who's these, just won the Tour two of the stars. Yeah. Two star, Two stars? To win the race two. overall? Yes, to win the race overall. Two stars. Two stars. That's harsh. Well, he's got no pedigree over... Well, he has. His first two tours got a podium in, in both what, of them. Finished but, in, from podium in the Tour de France. Yeah. but By, by no... Yeah, no pedigree. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, Trek Segafredo have notionally got Giulio Ciccone as their leader, but he doesn't convince me as a three-week as a three-week Grand Tour GC racer yet. Mm. And and actually, if he's going to do that with his career, he needs to do it this year. Like mm. he needs to answer those questions in his own mind and for the rest of us, I think, to so we can be clear about whether he's a Rafa Mica. Mm-hmm. or a Vincenzo Nibali, you know? So yeah. what is he exactly? Because if he's going to be Micah, be Micah, mm. you know. Well, don't uh, be Micah. But he's got... Well, no, Micah's a very nice guy. He's Pete Kenyuk told us. He's a lovely oh, yeah, guy. True. Yeah. Oh, no, I, yeah. I, I, I'm sure he is. Can I move Bade up to a three-star? I feel bad for that now. <laughs> you feel bad about that. <laughs> but do you know what I mean about Ciccone? And I think that yeah. comparison with Micah stands, doesn't it? Because Micah... 
who else? We break free of this super kind of. You you can be that kind of, as we often say, free electron, kind of doing your thing, switch between domestic and going for stages, or you go for the, the big one, and that that's the breakthrough. So he's got to do the breakthrough this year if he wants to break through and change his career trajectory. Yeah. Otherwise, he they also doing the other stuff. They also have um, Malcolm Bollamer in their team and uh, Shell Mose Jensen, who is the dark horse, the Danish rider. Uh, he's definitely one to look out for for Trek Segafredo. And he could be the, he could be a bit like Tobias Foss, the next Scandinavian stealth uh, GC talent to look out for because mm. he's shown a lot of promise. What is he, 20? Shell Mose Jensen. So mm. look out for him. Um, I have to say, watching the team presentation is the last name I'm going to mention in terms of the general classification. Watching the team presentation uh, yesterday, when they all lined up, actually one team stood out for two reasons. One is, they are unbelievably strong. And two is, they had some amazing haircuts. I mean, to a man, their hair was immensely uh, thought through, cogent, uh, so uh, spearheaded by Fernando Gaviria, who had a oh, really UAE. Com- yeah. he had a complex haircut. UAE have got winners everywhere you look throughout their mm. team, and they've got Joao Almeida as their uh, GC man. Five stars. Five is a big shout. I mean, there's a lot of climbing. There's a lot of climbing. There are 38 categorized climbs. In the yeah, but it's who you're racing against. There are 51, 51,000 meters of climbing. Um, but it's who you race against. Who have you got to beat? Yeah. The shark. The shark, Superman, Carapaz, <laughs> Dicky Carapaz. We, he needs Dickie, to have a nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So there you go. Oh, that's good. That's exciting. All right. And yeah. then you've got, and then you've got, and then you've got Mark Cavendish as well. Oh, we've got about that. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's quite a bit. It's quite big. It's quite a big shout for Mark. This isn't it? Because although it's quite interesting, because in the Jakobsen Cavendish thing that we discussed ages ago on the pod, mm. didn't we? You know, and you said you take him to the Tour de France, and you had good reasons Mark, for every doing day. it. Yeah, yeah. I think this is. Um, I think Jakobsen's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders right now at this point in the season because his right. his opportunities to sprint are quite limited. He hasn't yeah. raced for a while. I guess um, there's, there's very few flat races going from here on in. Uh, uh, and, and and Cavendish, who's kind of... I know that Lefebvre has said, listen, it's up for grabs. You know, mm. I haven't picked the... But on the other hand, he's definitely given Jakobsen the kind of preferential treatment in terms of the race pick. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Mark Cavendish has picked going to the Giro d'Italia. I think that was picked for him mm. because uh, Jakobsen wasn't going to the Giro d'Italia. Put it that way, right? But... I think that presents him with a real opportunity. And I think Jakobsen has a lot more pressure on his shoulders than Cavendish does, actually. And that Cavendish can do things at this Giro, which could actually change the dynamics of that, uh, of that, of that thought process for Lefebvre. I mean, the interesting so, point is if he, if he picks up a win or two in the opening week, what does he do? That, I, I, he'd be prudent to say, I've made yeah. my point. Now I step off. We shall see. So, what you're saying is the beauty of a Grand Tour is that there are multiple subplots. That's one of the things that I'm saying. I've said a lot, but it's that is certainly one of them, David. In fact, I've probably said too much. Um, and also, so, it's about yeah. the places we visit. It's absolutely about the places we visit, um, which is, I can tell, your way of, sort of wrapping this up gently. 
and inviting me to segue, segue my way through to introducing um, my little my little stroll around Budapest, which is a, I've never been to Hungary before, and therefore I've never been to Budapest. Many of you listening will know uh, will know uh, Budapest. Um, many of you won't, um, and you can't in the space of one day. You can't really sum up the entire history of the place. So these are some just some impressions from what I got up to today. Set to um, uh, set to some music, and the music is the Danse Hongroise, being played in this instance by the Budapest-born. Um, and, and uh, I think he's born in the 1930s and then uh, emigrated from Budapest in 1956, which was when there was the uprising against the uh, Soviet-based communists here, uh, which was uh, summarily put down by uh, the Soviet Union. He emigrated in 1956 to Canada. Uh, Georgi Terbeshi, uh, which I've probably horribly mispronounced, but he is playing the violin on this rendition of Danse Angoise. And he accompanies me all the way around Budapest. And David, on this note, I'll bid you farewell. And we shall speak soon, yeah? Farewell. So, here I am in Budapest um, for the latest chapter. Well, it depends how you want to see it, really, how you want to frame it. It's either the latest chapter in the Giro d'Italia's slightly demeaning search for cash at the hands of uh, questionable governments who perhaps uh, are in need of polishing up their international reputations. And, of course, in Hungary, I'm talking about the... uh, recently re-elected <clears throat> regime of Viktor Orban. Um, one of the most uh, intimidatingly dark right-wing uh, leaders, well, certainly in the European Union, but in uh, Western Europe. I want to try and find out a little bit more while I'm here about um, you know, the reality of the Orban government and what is going on here and uh, what the future might hold. Or if you want to be Uh, more charitable, or simply ignore uh, the context that leads us all here, Um, you could could simply look at it uh, in in these terms, that uh, the Giro d'Italia is starting in one of the most beautiful cities in all of Europe, in all of the world, one of the most important cities in all of Europe, um, historically, at least, and who knows... uh, in the future, it might regain its status um, that it enjoyed for many centuries. Um, I, uh, I've got this kind of like fascination with uh, the two sides of the Austro-Hungarian Empire that held sway in, uh, in Europe for so long with its uh, twin power base of Vienna and Budapest because um, Vienna, I kind of understand as being homogeneously Germanic uh, in ethnicity and in culture, uh, one way or another. Um, but Budapest is uh, is strikes me as much more rich and complex. And uh, once again, it's one of those it's one of those places in Europe that sits on the fault line, really, um, of multiple different influences, both both religious 
and uh, ethnic and linguistic, of course, because as I think we discussed on Never Stres Farfalle uh, last year during the Giro d'Italia, following on from Attila Valta's success and wearing the pink jersey, um, the Hungarian language is insane and uh, bears absolutely no relation to the Slavic, its Slavic neighbours nor its Germanic neighbours. Um, it bears a little bit of a relationship, I seem to remember, to Finnish. The Magyar people, having uh, come from Central Asia, <coughs> originally settled here, and uh, their language having ceded, uh, it's impenetrable. I've, I'm only here for three days, and uh, seems seems almost a kind of a futile task to even begin to try and unpick <coughs> the road signs and the the, ver- the various different. Uh, uh, yeah, the very signs around Budapest, which are just written in a language that I cannot even begin to begin to come to grips with at all, um, nor speak. So I am in that babyish position of being a Brit abroad, un- unable to uh, even communicate in the most basic terms with anyone. Anyway, I got up quite early this morning. It's uh, the day before the Giro. Last night was the team presentation uh, over in Heroes Square, uh, right next to. Um, the art gallery actually that I intend to visit later I think uh, to see the Hieronymus Bosch exhibition which is supposed to be absolutely brilliant um, and um, and yeah so today's Thursday the race starts tomorrow in Friday finishes in uh, Visegrad which I, I shall report on in due course um, I've been out for a run we're staying in Buda which is at the side of the mighty Danube River which contains all the uh, uh, historically, politically important buildings, including the castle. And uh, the b- majority of the old city is actually in Pest, the other side of the river. Uh, well, that's where the cafes are and the nightlife, and that's where most of the city is. But up on the rocky hillside, the other side of the river in, in Buda, that's where we're staying. Um, just a very short walk or run, in my case, from the river. And I, I ran along the Danube this morning um, thinking, wow, because... Uh, Kind of blows my mind that, that, that I, and I think, um, I think even in the 19th century, I think they first, I think I'm right in saying, this might be a floating fact, I think I'm right in saying that they first connected uh, by means of a canal, the River Rhine and the Danube, meaning that you could navigate a barge or a ship all the way from Rotterdam to uh, where the Danube flows out into the Black Sea, so bisecting the continent of Europe. Uh, from north to south and slightly west to east as well, um, by means of the Rhine and then the Danube, the two greatest rivers in the in the continent. And and now you certainly can because um, the old canal that I think existed uh, was eventually replaced with a twentieth century canal or even early twenty first century. Now I really am floating facts, but it is eminently possible. And uh, what a remarkable journey that would be to do one day. Anyway, I'm going to go and. Uh, going to go and explore Budapest. When I'm in places that I don't know, that I'm visiting for the first time, um, and it's one of the joys of being an accidental tourist, as we've discussed, is particularly when I'm kind of doing a, a formless wander around. I'm actually on my way to um, to, do, to, to visit this um, place that I've booked into a guided tour, but um, I've got a little bit of time on my hands before I get there, so I'll talk about that when I get there. But one of the joys is civic art, so sculptures in parks and um, little memorials to bits and pieces of history and personalities that I knew nothing about. Um, 
And I've just found another one. So there's a Hungarian poet uh, of the early 20th century who's, who's writing in the 1920s principally, um, who's got a statue erected to him here, and he's standing there holding his hat, and he's got a cane, and he's a slender, mustachioed figure with a side parting, and he's got a finger pointing in the air, but he looks like a, a kindly chap. And uh, his name is, well, t- t- his name is in English, we'd call him Mihaly Babits, but um, in Hungarian, uh, the naming tradition is spoken, you, you actually flip it, flip it round, and you, you, the surname comes first. So uh, in Hungarian, he'd be known as Babits, or Babic, Mihaly. Um, a bit like uh, the the, um, the Hungarian riders in the, in the Giro. So it's not, you know, we say Attila Valta, but actually Hungarians say Valta Attila, uh, or Barnabas Peak. Um, Hungarians would call him Peak Barnabas, um, which is interesting, isn't it? The other way around. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, it gave me a chance to um, look up the poetry of Mihaly Babits. Let's go with the English way of, uh, of uh, saying his name. And uh, here's, here's one of his poems translated. It's called Jonah's Prayer. Words have become unfaithful things to me, or else I am an overflowing sea, goalless and hesitant without a shore. Vain words articulated once before I carry like dikes or signposts made of wood torn hedges carried by a straying flood. Oh, if the master only would provide a bed for my brook's current and thus guide my steps on sheltered pathways toward the sea. If only he would carve a rhyme for me, a ready-made rhyme, I would avail myself for prosody of the Bible on my shelf, so that like Jonah, lazy servitor of God, we hid from him and later bore not three brief days or months of agonies, but three long years of even centuries when he went down into the living fish in dark, hot torments more than he would wish. I too, before I disappear, might find in an eternal whale whose eyes are blind, my old accustomed voice, my words arrayed in faultless battle order as he made his whispers clear where all my poor throats might I could speak out, unwearied till the night, so long as heaven and Nineveh comply, will my desire to speak and not to die. It's good, isn't it? Didn't understand all of it, but that's not the point with poetry, isn't it? Not always. It just sounds good. Anyway, I'm heading for the, uh, yeah, there are quite a lot of steps. I'm heading for the museum of the hospital in the rock, which is, uh, yeah, I'm very curious to see what that's all about. So um, they had to lay most of the patients on the floor on stretchers everywhere, not just in the corridors, but even in the wards and even in the surrounding rooms of the care system. So, you know, they had only 60 beds and they had six, 700 patients.
Well, that was um, extraordinary. <laughs> underneath the, on the Buddha side, underneath the castle, which is built on this big limestone hill, there, for centuries, um, they've always been, well, there are naturally occurring caves, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, that were discovered a long time ago for centuries, used to store various things, and tunnels were built, and then largely ignored in the 19th century. And in the 20th century, in the 1930s, their leadership here, the King of Hungary, by the way, um, what I didn't realise was that some of the first kind of anti-Semitic laws were introduced in Hungary in the 1920s, far, far in advance of uh, the, the rise to power of the uh, Nazis in Germany. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But in the 1930s, these, this network of caves and tunnels were actually dug out and built and developed um, in anticipation of the war to come as a bunker and uh, converted into a hospital, ultimately, inside this hill. Um, nine kilometres of interconnecting rooms and tunnels, huge diesel generators, driving a ventilation system, etc. Absolutely phenomenal. And when... Uh, the, I mean, the, the story of Hungary's participation in the Second World War is uh, not a happy one by any means. It's quite complicated but it ended with a uh, with the German invasion in 1944 of what was already a uh, effectively a Nazi ally. Um, and then it ended with the siege of Budapest by the Soviets, which uh, was, uh, in, in some people's eyes, second only to the siege of Stalingrad in terms of its ferocity. It cost 100,000 Soviet lives, and I don't know how many Hungarian lives it destroyed, 80% of Budapest. And this hospital underground was uh, kept doing its best to save lives. And at one point, towards the end of the siege, it had, for 45 days, it had no medicines, no water, and uh, with all those unimaginable consequences, and 10 times more patients than it was originally designed for being uh, starved out. So, incredible guided tour for an hour through these... Uh, through these tunnels with a couple from Bologna and a, a tour guide called Milan who spoke wonderful English, was quite eccentric actually, but very passionate. And in the back of all of our minds, well, not really in the back of all of our minds, but in the foreground of all of our minds, I think all of us were just thinking, thinking what's actually going on in Mariupol and places in Ukraine, which, let's face it, neighbours Hungary. Um... Anyway, I'm back out in the daylight now and uh, just going to work out what I'm going to go and see next. Well, I've uh, joined up with my commentating colleague, Matt Stevens, And Matt and I have just, we've just had a fine bit of grilled salmon with some grilled vegetables for our lunch. And now we're going to jump on um, the famous M1, Metro Line Number 1 in Budapest, which is... Uh, the oldest, let me get this right, the oldest electrified underground train in continental Europe. I say continental Europe because actually bits of the um, London underground predate it slightly. It was constructed in 1896 and it was opened by uh, Franz Josef, the um, Austro-Hungarian emperor, in 1896. 
and it's beautiful, tiny little. Um, it was all restored in the 1970s into back to its original state. But the platforms are very short. The trains are little dinky trains, and uh, all the stations are immaculate and tiled. And the whole thing is an absolute gem and a pleasure to travel on. In the meantime, our, our, our compartment on this very little train is filled up with um, school kids, isn't it? I wonder if they're going to the Hieronymus Bosch exhibition. Anyway, this is um, Bushuk Tere. This is us, isn't it? This is it. The free body nearly fell over. Oh, they're all getting off here, Matt. Yeah. They're all getting off. And us. Boshes. Yeah. This is a brilliant exhibition, I have to say. Um, Hieronymus Bosch. Uh, we all know, I think, well, can imagine a little bit about his uh, his paintings. Late 15th century, early 16th century, Dutch painter. Did all those kind of extraordinary visions of hell. And uh, all the tiny little characters and made-up figures. Part animal, part human, part machine. Things burning. Strange little semi-comical, but mostly horrific little details of bits being cut off people and uh, various forms of torture that's pretty mad stuff kind of a surrealism before 500 years before 400 years before surrealism that kind of thing hey that's my verdict what do i know anyway halfway around this uh, art gallery might get matt to give you a bit of an evaluation a bit more detail he knows his art well i've stepped out of the art gallery now because um I've actually only got limited capacity for looking at art, uh, which is a bit of a shortcoming of mine. So I've stepped back out into the sunlight, waiting for Matt to uh, finish off his, uh, his visit, and back out into, the, um, into Hero Square in Budapest, for those of you, many of you, I'm sure, will have been here. It's one of the big, big landmarks in Budapest, uh, with a big monument commemorating the millennium of the Magyar uh, um, nation, and um, this is where the team presentation was last night. And actually, I thought that the stage and everything would be removed, but, in, but it hasn't. And instead, um, there's a lot of paraphernalia from the Giro d'Italia still occupying the square, including big screens and pens and bits and pieces. And I think it's going to be used throughout the three days in which the race is in Hungary, actually. Maybe it's a fan park, but also it looks like the teams have got, um, have got little tents uh, which from which the bikes will be prepared perhaps on um, on time trial day on on Saturday uh, don't know the route well enough should do to know whether it starts here but it looks like it might start here I'll have to I'll have to get to grips with the route won't I too busy thinking about Hieronymus Bosch and uh, anyway we've got Friday's race to go before then um, but anyway yeah just reading about Hero Square and I'll wait for Matt and the the figure of Imre Nagy I hope I pronounced that right. Who was uh, uh, one of the uh, high up leaders of the Communist Party in Hungary after 1945, having fought in the Second World War, um, but then became uh, fell out of favour and became very disillusioned with Soviet influence and um, was in the 1956 uprising against the Soviet communists. Um, he was effectively during that uprising he was uh, 
what's the word? He was he was he became the, the the new prime minister of the nation for a short period of time only until the Soviets took back control of uh, Budapest and he fled um, to to uh, the embassy in Yugoslavia and uh, was lured then uh, to a meeting. Uh, I think in Romania, and was uh, shortly thereafter executed and shot and buried in an unmarked grave somewhere. And in 1989, so with the fall of uh, the Eastern Bloc, Hungary included, um, he was then, his body was exhumed and he was reburied uh, in a ceremony here in Heroes Square. We won't forget our rucksack. No, we mustn't forget our rucksack. Well, we put them in the um, in time-honoured arts gallery fashion, didn't we? We put them in the um, cloakroom. And you were the, the only person with the foresight and the prescience uh, to, to bring a euro. Well, it's quite weird here because it's a dual-currency situation in Hungary, it isn't is. it? It's Florence, Florence and, 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 and yeah. euros, yeah. yeah. But um, we're right opposite the, the presentation from yeah. yesterday, and yeah. we're in this beautiful... Well, it's beautiful museum. museum of fine yeah. arts, yeah. yeah. But, but you li- I, so our listeners won't know that you like your art... No, you keep, you keep that hidden under a, under a, a bushel, to use a biblical phrase. I, th- I think it, I've always liked art, but I, during lockdown, I became really aware of how empty our house was. So just thought I'd buy a few paintings, and then it's Could never you just really come stopped. To Ikea and some rugs. I, I, I could have done. Uh, I, I took a different route now. Now yeah. I'm a little bit obsessed with art, and any time I can pop to a gallery. Um, but as soon as I saw this Bosch, I thought we've got to come here on our day off. Yeah, well, I've been I've been forewarned as well by um, by Kat at home that this was worth a visit, and it really was. But I mean, he's I was vaguely familiar with him, but seeing the paintings for real, like, and some of them are very recognisable, aren't they? You don't know that you know them, but once you exactly. see them, you go, yeah. oh yeah, that that painting. They are extraordinary, aren't they? They are they are quite dark, and when you think back to when they were painted to the back end of the 1400s, uh, they were like nothing. They were, like, they were like nothing before. So, so Bosch's contemporaries would have looked upon them with curiosity and fear, uh, apprehension. He was a real visionary. And, uh, and just the back end of, of, of the exhibition was paintings by the artists that he then went on to influence. And there's nothing quite like it. And, uh, and he's, he's still re- revered now. I mean, and as you say, schools were here. I mean, I think it's just lovely. It's lovely to think that somebody... 500 years ago painted something that still resonates so viscerally actually but uh, wonderful I, I loved it but that was enough for me an hour or so in there because we've got the Giro to look forward to because it's quite <laughs> not, wouldn't say depressing yeah. but um, it's nice to come out to the sunshine put it that way yeah 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 I went out on a bit of an art history limb on this yeah, podcast yeah. earlier when I said I said 400 years before the Surrealists he was doing things that the Surrealists did right so some of the am I wrong am I right in thinking the landscapes and then you get these kind of cracked eggs. Dolly has a, crack, a cracked egg, and then strange, lots of characters wearing funnels upside down on their heads. Really, quite so, uh, 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 disembodied heads with buildings on top of them. Yeah, uh, gnomes them. built into ship with ships built around them. Uh, these Scorpions kind of, with wheels. Weird. Yeah, but, lot, but lots of funnels. Uh, but you, you can see where I mean the, the, the other greatest surrealist, arguably of all time, is Salvador Dali, and you can see that he obviously looked to him, and 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 also Bosch himself looked towards uh, Renaissance paintings, yeah. and also the, the people that painted within within art, like manuscripts at the time. So he was inspired as well, but then took it to a completely different level. But um, but it tremendously detailed. You could spend half an hour poring over one painting quite easily. What was your favourite? I mean, the bit, the one that a lot of people sort of stopped at for a long time was the Garden of Delights. 
the Garden of Delights, which is or three funny. versions. It's almost a tapestry. Funny, isn't it? I mean, it's almost funny. Yeah. You stand there and you kind of almost laugh because it's so uh, ridiculous. And these clusters of, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tiny little human bodies in little clusters, often on yes. horseback. Um, yes. And they're kind of all bit debauched. It's, um, it's, it's, it looks, it's like a kind of scene of innocence at first, but the more you look at it, it's it, more kind of uh, gruesome. I th- think it was apparently, it would, all of these paintings, they're, they're, they are shot through with a lot of humour, but also warnings, um, because there were some, if you think about the, the times they were, they were living in, exceptionally conservative, but um, it was only, but the, the elites were allowed to think in certain ways and look down upon, uh, upon the poor. was yeah. something that the poor did. But clearly, yeah. everybody, everybody did it. But, uh, yeah. So there, there's a lot of warnings. I think he was a... Quite a moralist. A, yeah, oh, definitely. Quite a moralist, but, but also looked at it with, with, with realism as yeah. well. So, look, you know, we, you, you can have your moral high ground. This is what we all do. This is, uh, this yeah. is Eke homo. This is uh, yeah, exactly. the whole man. So, but I think my, my favourite one, I'll have to look at my yeah. phone and take a picture of, of it. Yeah. Just bear with me so you can insert some, some maybe some Hungarian no, I can't, music. I can't be, bo- I no, can't can't be bothered can't. with the editing. Okay. So, um, so, so, here we go. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. This is the one that it's... Uh, oh, yeah. The Last Judgment. Uh, was my favourite, which is the triptych. Oh, yeah. So I couldn't got, get close to that. It's too many school kids. But, yeah, um, so you've yeah. got basically heaven and hell and everything in between. So one of his famous, the most famous triptychs, uh, which, astonishing piece of work. It actually took my breath away. So. Yeah, yeah. Who's going to win the Giro? Richie <laughs> uh, Carapaz. Oh, yeah, we don't <laughs> Anyway, um, right. Come on, let's go somewhere else. Let's, let's go get our rock Let's go get our So there we go. That kind of completes my little uh, my little gallivant round Budapest uh, the day before the Giro because um, I'm a bit foot sore now, having walked back from Hero Square into the centre of Pest and then uh, and then back to the hotel in Buda. Um, beautiful, beautiful place. Makes me very curious to know more. Uh, makes me apprehensive about the future of this place. Having had a conversation with Milan. Uh, the tour guide from the first place I went to, who, who, whose who's own view is, of course, his own view, and it's partial, uh, absolutely. But he suggested that uh, the uh, Prime Minister, President, Viktor Orban, is, uh, in his words, a mafioso, who's not interested in anything other than power and money, and uh, doesn't care who he makes friends with, and will stop at nothing to get his way. And that... Uh, it is not as it seems, and it is a, uh, an elected dictatorship here, to use his words. So, um, got the race to look forward to, though. Got the race to look forward to, and I am looking forward to it hugely. Uh, but yeah, of all my accidental tourisms recently, uh, Budapest is right up there. Um, scratched the surface of it today, but uh, what a beautiful city! Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 